Well, today we've got somebody who has both um, tinkered with software and is somebody who, as a lawyer, I don't know if you would, I would use the word tinkers with the law, but he knows the fine elements of the law. I'd like to introduce Keith Schoenberger, who is an associate and a patent attorney at Young Basile in Troy. Keith, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. We brought you on today because Ed has been ranting and raving for the last couple of weeks about patent trolls. Mm -hmm. So I thought it's about time. I heard you talking with uh, Mike Brennan of MI Tech News on his M Squared TechCast, along with Matt Rausch. Uh, that's a podcast that he does on the Podcast Detroit Network. And I've, I've heard you talk there a couple of times, and I thought, let's have him in, because you understand the world of software. You graduated from MSU with a degree in computer science, right? That's correct. And then you did work developing software or working with software after that. I did work uh, uh, um, you know, with a brief stint before I entered law school uh, um, for developing simulation software uh, with the Boeing company. Good. Okay, I mean, you've had your hands on software, so it's not a rare field for you. But now as a lawyer with your degree in law from MSU, you are working with this uh, distinguished firm of Young Basile out of Troy as a patent attorney. So what we're going to do, Ed, when we come back is uh, you're going to get a chance to rant, okay? You're going to rant about patent trolls. But before we get to that, I thought we'd talk a little bit about what patents are, get a handle on that with Keith, and then maybe talk about patents and ideas worth patenting coming up on the Internet Advisor. Ed, did you like the uh, drooling figure that I have on our website? You know, the picture of the troll. He's got a poor inventor in one hand uh, yeah. by the leg, and in the other as this grizzly guy. You got can... a lot of hits on that when you put that up there. I noticed the <laughs> Facebook hits increased. Well, you know, it's kind of easy fodder nowadays, especially if you're involved in technology, to talk about trolls, and in particular patent trolls. But I thought today what we would do is to try to to delve a little more deeply into the serious side of this, and not that that isn't serious in many cases, but to really get a little more basic information. So uh, I was uh, delighted to make contact with our guest who's in studio right now, and that is Keith Schoenberger. He is an associate patent attorney with Young Basile out of Troy. And Keith, again, thank you very much for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, absolutely. Uh, just quickly, Young Basile is a, um, a law firm that, uh, among the other things, patent law is part of what they deal with. What are some of the other things they deal with? Sure. Well, patent uh, practice is uh, um, a very large and significant aspect of our uh, firm. Uh, we also uh, deal in other aspects of intellectual property, such as copyright, trademark, and trade secret protection, okay. uh, as well as commercial litigation uh, and business support. Okay. So you would be on the, my right, you'd be kind of on the side of the businesses and protecting their goods in the, in the marketplace. That is our end goal. Okay, okay. I mean, I, and just the general umbrella for people mm -hmm. who are hearing this. And what I found interesting was that you yourself have come out of a background where at MSU you got your degree in computer sciences. You worked for Boeing for a little while as a software engineer and then went on to get your law degree. I'm curious, why did you go from uh, having your hands in the code, as it were, and, and being involved in this booming field of software engineering to going into patent law? Sure. Uh, well, um you know, my uh, work through Boeing was uh, um, guided through Michigan State University. And, you know, it was along my course of my studies that I realized that uh, although I had a, a great love for software and coding generally, uh, there was uh, something more I was craving. And I couldn't quite put my finger on what exactly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. until I realized that patent law was an option. Uh -huh. uh, and sure enough, uh, it turned out to be a wonderful decision. What was it about that, Keith, that, that you that, that 
caught your fancy that said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> you know, I, I can imagine him sitting there, you know, staying up late at night and I was reading all of these uh, legal papers and opinions and I could do this for a living, right? <laughs> was that what it was? Or? Sure. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, um, I couldn't tell you what the magic exactly was. Uh, just uh, I came across the opportunity and, yeah. uh, you know, fell in love with the idea. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful field to be involved in because, you, as you said, you're, you're protecting people. Now, let's, let's talk about patents. What are they, first of all? And, mm-hmm. and a real simple explanation for our audience, not to get buried in all sorts of details, but um, what is a patent? What does it protect? And who ought to have one? Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, essentially, a patent is an exclusive right that's granted for an invention. Uh, it's essentially a monopoly over some kind of technology. Uh, granted through the federal government, lasts for 20 years from the earliest date of filing uh, okay. for rights with the USPTO. That's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Mm-hmm. Um they can be obtained by anyone who invents uh, an invention or of, uh, of sorts uh, that is new, useful, and what's called non-obvious, which okay. means that it is oh, not. Okay. New, uh, new, useful, and non-obvious. Sure. All right. Good. Okay. New. I want to take that down because it's not just anything. It's got to be new. Mm-hmm. And that means that I've heard the term prior art. Does that mean that somebody else was doing something like this ahead of time? So did it act? How do you determine something is really new, in other words? That's a great question, Foster. Um, essentially, the newness uh, asks, is uh, something already out there that fully explains my invention? Uh, okay. And it's an exact mapping. Okay. Uh, so you know, an, uh, a helpful way to do this is to search patent records and mm-hmm. other related disclosure materials to try to find what actually discloses the heart and soul of your invention. Ah. Now, is that what your company does? It does that kind of research? That is uh, work that we do, yes. That's a heart. Okay, very important part. Now, now, what is the difference between a patent and a copyright? That's a great question. Um, Those are both uh, types of intellectual property uh, that can protect uh, um, things that people create or uh, businesses want to protect. A patent is... Uh, a vehicle for protecting an invention, some form of technology that is an apparatus, a process, a manufacture, okay. a system, etc. A copyright, on the other hand, is uh, an award given to some uh, artistic expression, um, such as a, a picture, a movie, music, both in the recording or the written form, uh, sculptures mm. and things like that. Okay. 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 So it's artistic expression is the key there. Correct. Okay. Now, there were three things you mentioned yet. New, useful, and what was the third thing? Non-obvious. Non-obvious. Explain that because sometimes with some of these cases I hear arising, it just seems, man, that's just so obvious. Like, you know, <laughs> up or right-hand turn or well, screwing or something. I, I, and that's that's what got me about these, uh, the, you know, set me off. And I sent Foster a link from um, a gentleman by the name of um, Austin Meyer. And he was basically, what he had done is he had invented this game that can be played on your iPhone or Android. It's a pilot game, I think. Yeah, it's a pilot game, a flight simulating game, and he he uploaded it, and he was being sued by um, uh, patent holders, Mm -hmm. if you will, and we would call them patent trolls is how he labeled them, um, because he had used the electronic medium to upload it and so was, was, was going to receive for uploading for the for process up, of uploading for process of uploading and receiving funds for that upload. To me, that seems obvious that uh, you know that that it, the patent was made in two thousand five. Uh, anyways, um, so it, it really struck a nerve with me. I sent you the video, right, right, and then a couple other subsequent videos. So um, back to Foster's original 
question is non-obvious. Sure. <laughs> well, um, as a threshold matter, just to uh, draw a quick distinction, there are actually two different stages that we're kind of discussing here. Yeah. Um, there's the first phase, which is actually trying to obtain a patent uh, through the USPTO, and that's okay. when this non-obviousness question really comes in. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out, is our invention not obvious? Uh, in the other situation where someone is being sued, Obviousness may still be a consideration during defense, uh, but it's not relevant to what we're talking about. Right. And right I now, exactly. Okay. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, what is obvious? I mean, that's a question that uh, for the average person is going to require a really large cup of espresso to get to. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a fairly complicated question. The general gist, however, is uh, if I combine two things that are related, can I arrive at your invention? Hmm. If I combined... Two things that are related. Can I arrive at your invention? Mm-hmm. Boy, that's okay. I'll have to chew on that for a little while. Now, uh, the three things you mentioned here, and and you said that the patent office is really where the non-obvious element is determined in some ways, right? For obtaining protection. For yes. obtaining the protection in the first place. Hasn't it been part of the criticism of the patent office that they really haven't done a very good job with that? With explaining obviousness? Yeah. Well... Uh, yes, or that they let things go, you know, as, I don't know, that there, there are non-obvious? Sure. Um, I'd say yes and no. Um, I think there are clear enough, uh, there's a clear enough understanding in the patent practitioner uh, field of what needs to be done to overcome obviousness, rejections when they are, uh, arise. Mm-hmm. Um you know, sometimes it can be a head scratcher, but uh, you know, that's a part of the job is figuring out the puzzle. Um, there are other aspects of the process that I think need a little more work, uh, which, you know, talk more about the the useful aspect and really even more uh-huh. than that, uh, a threshold question of subject matter eligibility. Mm. So I, go ahead, Ed. I was going to ask, I mean, in the past, the patent office has been criticized for not uh, for uh, granting patents for uh, something that... Uh, you know, isn't non-obvious, and like, and and they their their comeback was like we're overwhelmed, and this was during yeah. the the communication revolution of the 1990s and the 2000s. Right. How is the patent office's you know reputation nowadays? Are they doing well, any we, better? Are at they it? doing any better at <laughs> at granting patents that are you know um you know that are not that are not beyond their their you know that that they're hiring the right people to to grant the patents basically. Sure. Fair enough. Um. Well. You know, I, I wasn't practicing back then, so I can't say from personal experience, uh, but it seems to me like they're doing a wonderful job now. The USPTO has opened up several new offices around the country, the first of which here in Detroit. Oh, actually, um, really? down at the riverfront, yes. Um, and they are, uh, you know, they're expanding their uh, um, employer accounts to try to overcome this huge, incredible stack of applications they have to go through. I think that and, and easier access to the common knowledge they have to use to examine. Uh, the applications is yeah. helping them to have more consistent. It's got to be a boom time right now because of all the entrepreneurial things that are bursting here in Detroit. And there's so much going on here. All right, we're going to come back in just a minute. Keith Schoenberger from Young Basile is our guest. We'll be talking about patents and patent trolls. By the way, a thanks to Mike Parsons and uh, to Logan Santafer, both who are behind the glass, as we say, helping us put on this program as they, uh, as our engineer and our producer. And thank you for joining us here on the Internet Advisor. Don't forget, the second hour is yours, and that means that you can call 800-859-0957 and ask a question about your computer. By the way, if you want to have a question to ask about patents and you'd like to uh, chime in right now, we'll take that call as well. 
800-859-0957. Our guest in studio is Keith Schoenberger. He is an associate patent attorney with Young Basile. It's a patent law firm based in Troy, Michigan, although I believe it's inter- international. You have offices elsewhere, I believe. Well, our, our offices are in the United States. Oh, okay. uh, however, we do have clients internationally. Okay, it was clients international. Uh, let's get back to the, the subject of patents again. Let's say, we, we, a fascinating thing, the patent office is setting up an office or has set up an office here in Detroit. It's already here. Okay. This area is booming with entrepreneurship and it's happening all over the country, right? It is. People are inventing new things all the time. Um, you know, you, it could be on the, the, the crowdfunding site or whatever it may be. What's the process? If somebody in our audience says, I've got a left-handed jar opener that I've always wanted to patent, is it worth it? Where do they go with that? Well, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that uh, the inventor should do is seek out an experienced patent attorney or a patent agent. Uh, Why? Um, well, uh, the patent system, uh, this may come as a surprise, but it's actually fairly complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, having someone at your side who not only understands, yep. uh, you know, the patent system itself, how to navigate the waters of the law, uh, and also speak the language of your technology, uh, is invaluable. Very important. Very important. And then with your background in, for instance, and in, in, uh, software that you have right now, you're a very valuable asset for somebody who's developing something like that. Well, I'd I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. And I remember you have a lot of staff. That's what I put on my resume. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people at Yabrasil who were helping with that process. So it's worth going to somebody to spend the money, to invest Mm -hmm. the money on this end of the patent process with doing the research that's necessary before you wade into the soup and patent Mm -hmm. something that you could end up with a patent troll nailing you for. Any of it altogether. Um, You know, the patent process is, uh, you know, fairly lengthy to obtain one. Uh, We could start with... uh, you know, conducting a thorough search to figure out what's already out there that's related to my invention, um, and then drafting an application. Uh, you know, if that's the decision of the inventor, you know, with the advice of counsel, uh, we draft an application uh, to file with the USPTO. Uh, the one of the real tricky parts of uh, you know patent law is actually drafting a good application. Uh, uh, it's not something that you can just walk into and do well. Unfortunately, gotcha. Um, gotcha. there are very there's very specific language that has to be used. There are very specific uh, um, types of uh, um, uh, protections that have to be included within the application. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. If you if you don't do that, then even if you're successful in getting a patent at the end of the day, it might be worthless. Yo, folks, I, uh, respect, uh, Ed, it strikes me this is kind of like uh, having a durable power of attorney or something like that. We had a will drawn up. There are certain phrases. There are certain things you need to be making sure are part of that. Mm -hmm. And so for some of you folks listening out there may understand it in those terms. Somebody who knows that phraseology can help you with that is very important to have on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, So you say it could take a long, how long will it take to get a patent? Well, the average length of time from the time that we file an application to the time that we hopefully receive an issued patent, uh, it's about three years. Wow, three years. Three years. What can it run? I'm just curious. Ballpark figure. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just curious. Oh, well, I'm not comfortable speculating on that. You know, right. you know, there's no uh, one size fits all. Um, I will say, however, that here in Michigan, we charge uh, remarkably less than they do in the coast, uh, okay. the West Coast, or East Coast. It's a good place to have your research done. Okay, Absolutely. let's just leave it at that. I've never seen a coupon for that. So, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's much more than just the research as to what oh, is yeah. patentable. It's also preparing that application. That's yeah. the real meat of it. Exactly, this. exactly. And I'm teasing to some extent on this. Sure. All right. You, 
I dropped the term patent troll. And the reason I did that was because, uh, Ed, you had this video that just, man, it was a burr under your saddle. Yes. And you sent it along <laughs> to me. And it's about a guy in uh, who developed some game... Uh, uh, game uh, was a game called uh, Pilot, I think. Yeah, something yeah, like something that. like that. Teaching how to do, how to be a pilot, etc. He was sued by a patent. What was we're going to call a patent troll, which is a non-practicing right. group. Am I, am I right on this, uh, Keith? And saying it right, it's a non-practicing entity. Well, uh, yes, a patent troll is a subset of a non-practicing entity. Um, A non-practicing entity refers to someone, either a person or a business, that doesn't actually make users sell the invention that's patented. Okay. Uh, They don't make anything. They they don't sell anything necessarily. All they do is they they thrive on the patents they've purchased and and then basically like sharks... In a, in a in a in a tank, <laughs> go after the small fish and sure. So so the the term patent troll, as we've come to know it, yes, that's what you've just described. There are other types of non-practicing entities, NPEs, um, which may actually invent uh, the technology and get a patent and then just do other things with it. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, well okay. that's true too. Sure. I mean, yeah. And these particular ones have thrived. Mm-hmm. We mentioned states in Texas, yeah. in the eastern part of Texas, there is a district court there, I think, mm-hmm. that has kind of specialized in letting these people have their way going after companies. And um, it's kind of remarkable. Uh, do we have that kind of thing going on in Michigan? <laughs> we do not. Uh, I think yeah. you're referring to Marshall, Texas. It's yes. a, a town of, what, 20,000 people, I think. Oh. Uh, and yet uh, it hears 60 to 70% uh, of uh, uh, related patent cases. Uh, it's a very plaintiff-friendly venue, which is why it's sought after by so many patent trolls. <laughs> Pardon me. So they, they kind of they shop for a place that will be favorable to their to their particular cause that's correct is is there um do we have patent trolls here in michigan uh you know what uh they could be anywhere <laughs> i mean is there that's really a good answer district? i mean <laughs> is there a district is there a, a a court district in michigan yes we do have uh several uh district courts one of which is here in detroit um, okay. right across the street from uh, lafayette coney island okay do they uh, end up uh, handling these these trolls, you know, the patent troll cases. I'm sure they do. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I I don't think it's unreasonable to say that uh, you know most district courts around our country have heard at least some uh, patent troll cases uh, here and there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But they don't tend necessarily to be as overwhelmingly favorable to the patent trolls. I think and that's, that's that's the one in Texas has been. Yeah, that's the general understanding. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before about this that. Um, when in the in the 1800s, when the Industrial Revolution was just blooming, and then I watched a documentary on Tesla, there seemed to be particularly important patents about alternating current or about uh, generators, etc. that are being produced at that time. Now it almost seems to be more about intellectual rights, and it, it allows people like this to or kind conceptual of, rights or communications or, right. or trying to describe, you know, interactions uh, between the the computer environment and the purchasing environment. You yeah. Know, and, and what I think bothers both of us is it's almost like extortion in some ways because the way it works is that these companies come in and say, okay, Keith, you've got this invention. Um, we're going to sue you for using that. and um, Or you can pay us $50,000, mm-hmm. uh, call it a license fee or whatever it is, and you'll avoid paying up to what would it cost? You know, $30 million to protect yourself. To litigate it, yeah, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm. That essentially is kind of like almost, you mentioned it, but it is almost like ransomware. Yeah. It's bullying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, uh, is there a way of protecting yourself from that? <laughs> you know, there are absolutely there are uh, very many ways. Um, uh, it's unfortunate that that's become kind of the public's perception of uh, the patent system. Really, uh, yeah. it's 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 a it's a really meaningful and very important tool that we have in our country and in most countries of the world, I believe. Um, uh, you know, most patentable technologies uh, that go through our system really are wonderful innovations. Uh, mm-hmm. But we do have some that are more or less just generic implementations uh, using. You know, your average computer just to send data from here to there in a way that uh, makes the mom and pop shop down the street have to pay you $100,000 to make you go away. What needs to be reformed, Keith? Oh, that's a hard question to answer. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, we had, uh, I think the last real patent act that was uh, signed into law was in 2011. That was the American Invents Act. uh, And that instituted... Uh, a couple of important things, one of which was it, it made us a first-to-file nation, which said that the first inventor to go after a patent uh, is really the one that gets to go, you know, have the crack at the apple, so to speak. Um, but more relevant to this conversation, it imp- uh, implemented something called the inter-parties uh, review, which is uh, if I'm a patent troll and I sue you, Ed, mm-hmm. uh, in the course of our case, you can request this IPR which will effectively make the USPTO go back and re-review my patent to make sure that I really deserve it under today's laws. Oh, Oh, okay. So because today's laws have evolved so much, namely because of a 2014 case, Alice versus CLS Bank, that really changed our understanding of what is subject matter eligible in the patent world, uh, a lot of uh, um, patent troll uh, um, IP, you know, uh, patents... um, you know, are actually being invalidated through these IPRs. It's not just patent trolls, however. It's yes, uh, well, yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be anybody who is. And, and, and the ahead. patent trolls seem to hit the media more, and that's why we hear about them more. Well, They're sure. so sensationalized. They really push mm-hmm. people's buttons, and um, so and I, I'm an glad. Es- there's an el- there's an element of fairness, I think, mm-hmm. also yeah. that has been, if you will, part of the American psyche. I think for a long while that mm-hmm. it's just not fair that somebody had developed something, and here they're being sued by somebody who's done nothing to it. I, I, what we're going to do is take a quick break here, but I want to come back and talk about this reform and in particular, um, you know, what needs to be fixed and uh, this inter-parties review is a fascinating part of that. Well, t- t- we're talking with uh, Keith Stromberger, who's from Young Basile, which is a uh, patent attorney, a p- patent law firm in Troy. We're back in just a moment to talk a little bit more about this and also to hear from Mike Brennan with MI Tech News. <laughs> I'd like to thank once again uh, somebody who has dared to jump into the soup with us here, and that's Keith Schoenberger, who is one of the uh, patent attorneys at Young Basile in uh, Troy, and they specialize uh, clients all over the world who uh, have patents and who have copyrights and who have all sorts of other things that they help to advise and protect. And Keith, thank again for being here with us and for just kind of scratching the surface on Well, a whole lot of things. We've been talking about patent protection and patent reform in particular. And what I was fascinated to find is that you said that in 2011, there was a very significant reform that went through, right? That's correct. And um, what in particular did that do to improve the patent system? Well, uh there were two main components, uh, um, in, in my view, one of which was converting our system from a first-to-invent uh, um, system to a first-to-file system. That is, whoever actually gets the pieces of paper to the USPTO first, they get the rights to pursue the patent okay. on it. Mm-hmm. The other one is this IPR, Interparties Review, which is a second opportunity for the USPTO after the patent's been reviewed. 
uh, to take or after, after the patent's been issued, excuse me, to take mm-hmm. a look, re-review the patent, and make sure that it really deserves to be there. Uh, this is right. most important in the context of litigation. For example, if uh, a non-practicing entity, a patent troll, or someone else sues a defendant, the defendant can request an IPR to try to get off the hook. Yeah. And, I mean, and that makes sense to have that ability to to review because technology is changing so yeah. much. Yeah. And right now we're dealing with uh, you know quantum computing, and oh, someone Lord, submits yeah. something to the patent office, and it's like, wow, that's that's really cool. We should probably patent this or grant this patent. And then two year, two years later, everyone's walking around with a quantum camera, you know, or whatever, <laughs> and it's like we should go back and review that. I'm just making sure. that up, but it's it makes sense when I throw it in that context. I think right because mm-hmm. technology is changing so frequently. And and companies like Young Brazil are there to help people precisely with this process to be make sure that they are at the right place in the process before they get the patent and when they get the patent. Absolutely, and um, to hang on to it from from individuals to startup uh, to established businesses, institutional, uh, global uh, clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know any uh, any make it size. You know during the break you mentioned that the Supreme Court recently handed uh, a pretty big slap down to uh, a troll. Recently, you said I did absolutely. Um, this was uh, just a few days ago. It was Kuoza uh, Speed Technologies uh, was the uh, the main party that was the patent troll. There were two uh, New York attorneys. Uh, who run a firm called Empire IP, which is a patent troll. Okay. Uh, and they had used this lawsuit to leverage a change in the IPR proceeding. Um, the IPR, uh, what it does is, uh, the USPTO, when this IPR is instituted, they go back and they look at the patent under what's called the broadest reasonable interpretation of, mm. the, of the patent claims. And they see under the broadest reasonable interpretation, can this patent be invalidated? That's actually a really high bar, if you think about it, because broadly defining something that encompasses so many alternatives that were not contemplated when the patent was originally right. written. Um, so this, these patent trolls were asking for this broadest reasonable interpretation rule to be struck oh, down. Okay. And the Supreme Court unanimously, uh, eight to zero, said no. Wow. Okay. okay. That's good. That's it. All over. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, by the way, I wanted to, let's, uh, matter of fact, Mike uh, Mike Brennan is with us here. Mike is the editor of MI Tech News. And Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great. We have Keith on our show, M Squared Techcast, every month, right, Keith? That's Absolutely. Ex- that's exactly what I was about to brag on. Uh, Mike is not only the editor of MI Tech News, which you folks can get for nothing by simply going to MITechnews.com and putting your email address in there, no cost, and he will send you all sorts of headlines like uh, a couple I'm going to mention in just a moment. But Mike, you are also, along with Matt Rausch, the host of a weekly podcast podcast where people like Keith Schumberger from uh, Young Basile are on. He's on once a month talking about patent patent law. Well, IP too, other things like that. Not mm-hmm. always patents, but certainly intellectual property. Yeah, right. we find it a very useful resource because we have so many startups out there that really don't understand that process at all. Absolutely. And so what, Mike, I'm going to do is I'm going to take uh, from your last podcast, the segment that you did with uh, Keith, I'm going to be putting that as a resource on our homepage as well so people can hear the kind of conversation that you and Matt have with Keith on a monthly basis uh, and also maybe find, you know, be able to find out more about that and go back and find that element um, on your M Squared TechCast on a weekly basis. On Mondays, you're on there from 3 until 4 o'clock, right on the podcast Detroit, right? Absolutely, yeah. That's live. And then, of course, we're 24-7 available uh, whenever they want to do on-demand. That's right. And it's uh, loaded up, and you can get to that podcast through podcastdetroit.com, and we'll also give you some other links. <laughs> Keith, I want to thank you for being with us. Keen Schoenberger's with us. He's uh, with um, Young Basile. It's a company out of Troy. How do people get hold of you? Just quickly. Sure. Uh, well, our website is youngbasile.com. That's Y-O-U-N-G-B-A-S-I-L-E.com. 
Uh, you can find my uh, by uh, profile on that website. Uh, telephone number for the firm is 248 649 3333. Three, three. Again, go ahead. 248 649 3333. Please excellent. feel free to uh, contact me. Uh, any questions, I'm happy to speak with you. Excellent. So, if you do have questions about patents, uh, especially how to file and all the rest of the things we've been talking about today, 248 649 3333. And we'll find links on our homepage as well at internetadvisor.net to lead you to more information about Keith and about Young Basile. Thanks so much for being with us.